Now, I will tell you, I'm going to get older, but I'm never going to get old. But um, I'm going to have a grandbaby in four weeks. And uh, I'm going to have my first grandson. My daughter is doing great. But it changes things, doesn't it? It changes things because for Susie and I, we have put a priority on balance in our life to make time for that child. We literally realize how busy we are, but we have to have space to be there for this child. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And it's more about celebration than anything. It's just like, we can't wait. <laughs> as much as I was excited about my kids, I knew I couldn't give them back. And uh, I have a blessing because my child, my grandchild, will just give them back when we don't, you know. <laughs> so you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so I want to share a few things um, as we get started. The title of my message is, This House Shall Be Full. The title of my message is, this house shall be full. I believe this is a prophetic declaration. And um, I'm receiving that to boomerang into the Bay Area. But I feel it. It feels full today. Already it feels full. And that's a key that God has to fill it with his presence and his glory before he fills it with the people he wants to save. And so I want to tell you it's already full, but it's going to get full. And so I want to give you some keys to that fullness, if I can, today. Because I believe God's been speaking a word to me for this congregation for uh, the last couple weeks. Um, but I want to start by just sharing a few words that I believe I have for a few people, if I may. And so, Scott, I want to share a word with you. Okay? I feel like God gave me something for you. And what God showed me was an old 50-something truck sitting in the boneyard and looking at that truck and saying oh man that thing's beautiful and bringing that truck and restoring that truck and I just felt like God was telling me to tell you that he's going to take you from the graveyard and the boneyard to the road on display so I'm going to give you that word that he's going to take you from the graveyard and the boneyard the place where you have literally died inside. And he's going to do such a work of restoration in your life that it's going to be like you're rolling again. And, there, and, and your fenders are shiny and there's something fresh. And I don't know why. I don't know if you like connect with old cars or what that is. But I just feel like that word is really for you, man. And, and, and I feel like there's a child in your life that you've wanted some restoration with. And I want to tell you, God has that on his heart for you. Like that felt like that was just something as a token for you to, to you know what I'm talking about. Amen. I don't know you. I just said hi when I walked in the door, but God is so faithful, isn't he? Oh, he's so faithful to speak to us. And I would just be like the kid before Christmas to watch what God's going to do with that child. Um, number two, your bass player. Did he leave? He's in with the kids. Why don't you go get him? This is worth it. 
And maybe get his wife too. Huh? If you got to have one, I want him first, though. Are you going to have to go be the pastor and play teacher for a second? Sorry, but I just, I need to share this word before I go any further. Hi, brother. I know you probably weren't expecting me. Why don't you come up front right here? Just turn your back to these folks so they don't distract you. <laughs> I just, 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 just look at, I just want to share a word with you. When you were back there playing, yes. Oh, okay, great. Thank you all. Thank you all. So I, I, you were standing back here and I just saw a seed come down from heaven and just land in the ground. And what the Lord gave me was a verse that says a seed will serve him and it will be counted for a generation. Another place it says, unless a seed falls in the ground and it dies, it abides alone. And I felt like the Lord told me to tell you that you are a seed that's gonna be counted for the multitudes. You're as a couple. That you have fallen in the ground, you've died. There's been a place in you that you've shed something. Something fell off of you. But God is going to give you a multitude of Japanese people. And that there was something in you that longs to see that. And God is going to keep his word for you too. And for the islands, not just for you, for her too. That God's literally going to give you guys something. And you're just going to participate in the work of God. And he's going to do something incredible through your life. And it's going to look like a multitude. Does that make sense? Amen. Now you can go take care of the other seed. <laughs> How do we do this without the word of the Lord? You know what? Huh? I have something else, but I'm just like wrestling with how to share it. But I'm just going to share it. The lady in the blue tank top with, uh, yes, I just want to share something with you. I just saw you and you've just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And you've just wept over things. You've been through a lot. You've wept over things. There's been a lot of things that have gone on in you. And it's like all of you, what you didn't realize the whole time you were soaking the ground. And when you were soaking the ground, it was just draining down into the ground and it was going down. And there was a well that is coming up in the middle of you now. That you've went from those that sow in tears to reap in joy. And that there's something that's happening where God's going to cause a wellspring to rise up in you and come out of you and flow out of you. And it's going to be what you've wanted all along. So you've been through, the, you've been through your trail of tears. Now it's your time of triumph, okay? It's your time of triumph. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so Luke 14, let's turn there. I feel like God's given me some things for us, for where this body, where God wants this body to go. Now, I want to tell you something about prophecy. Prophecy has an if to it. God says, here's where I want to go if you will go. God says, if you will go, right? Like we have to be careful that we understand how prophecy works. 
God doesn't just say, I'm going to do it and you can just be disobedient as you want, resistant as you want, and I'm going to do it. Because all of that can create loss, delay, Ichabod, everything. Its key is, is that you hear the if and you respond to the if of God in the middle of prophecy so that thus saith the Lord comes to pass. Amen. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So Luke 14 talks about this. And I just want to read it to you starting in verse um, number 12. Um, then he turned to his host. And I have, I'm reading it in the New Living Translation. So if you're a New King James or your King James or your NSB or whatever, I'm just, t- I, this, this, is, this is the Bible I've been reading in lately. I've, you know, sorry. <laughs> but um, I'm going to read it to you. Then he turned to the host. When you put out on a den- when you put on a dinner, he said, "This is Jesus. Don't invite friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they for they will return the invitation. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind." Then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who can't repay you. The spirit of the age right now or the prevailing thought of the moment is a thought that says, what's in it for me? So the church has to understand to be counter that thought and say, God, what do you desire? I'm not looking for what's in it for me. I'm looking for what's in it for thee. Hear what I said. We are not to live like this world. When we talk about the church being worldly, the first thing people think about is how long their skirt is or how low cut their top is or how they behave. But the truth of the matter is that's not really what worldliness is. Worldliness is about having the same mentality as the world and carrying it in to the house of God and among the people of God. So real worldliness is about that. And, and I'm just going to say this. You're going to have to get ready because people are, there's going to be people walking in here that are going to be dressed in all kinds of ways that would offend you. And either you can give them a fixer scripture and walk over to them and say this, or you can give them a napkin and try to cover them up, or you can just love them where they at and walk with them until they get where God wants them. Listen, I've always said this. You have to love people ugly until God makes them beautiful. Because God's loved me ugly for a long time. Oh, Jesus, has he loved me ugly. And then the funny comedy of God is, is somewhere in the middle of our life, we get real cute. And then we start getting ugly. Gravity happens to remind us to love people ugly. And we run out of strength, so we can't do it in our own strength as we age. We have to rely on God because we get tired. Right? So we have to remember all these things. And actually, it's all designed for us to walk as we age more and more by the power of God. It's so funny in this church. This church just cracks me up sometimes when I come here. The the dad comes from the left, and then the dad comes from the right and shares the word of the Lord with you guys today. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, there's a fathering spirit in this church coming from both directions. 
And if you guys will hear that, you'll understand. Listen, we are going to have to have a fathering and a mothering thing in the church like never before. 70% of children right now are going to grow up without a dad in their home. And I want to say something to every one of you dads. Pay attention because the devil's trying to take you out of your family. He's trying to destroy you and weed you out of your family. He's trying to seduce you out of your family. He's trying to distract you out of your family. He's trying any way he can to get you from being an important part of your family so that he can increase that percentage from 70% to 72% to 75% to 80% until there's nothing left unless we see a tidal wave of God's glory come back and bring fathers back into the church. Hear what I'm saying. We are so important. How many of you as men know the enemy has tried over and over and over and over again to take you out? And I know the enemy tries to take moms out too. But moms have a maternal instinct. They're the ones that lift VW bugs and white knuckle things when their kids are being threatened. Dads kind of have this mentality like, well, what's the big deal? They need to risk their life and almost die to learn something anyway. (laughs) And the mom's like, don't do it. Dad's like, let him jump off the waterfall. And mom's like, you can't watch. Can't watch, right? My son came home one day, he's like, Dad, I I love mom so much. I love her so much, but I can't drive with her. (laughs) And she's like, I can't drive with him. Now, some of you might have it the opposite, but that's the situation with us. So let's keep reading. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a privilege it would be to get in to the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this illustration. So if this is the illustration to his comment about what a privilege it would be to get into the kingdom of God, what is this to illustrate to us? How to get into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just heaven. The kingdom of God is also here. That's why in our Lord's Prayer we pray, Thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. The truth is, if you haven't got into the kingdom here, you're not getting into the kingdom there. And the only way to get to that kingdom is you've got to meet the kingdom of heaven here, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you have to meet his body and be part of it. Amen? And so that's a very big part of this. So Jesus replied with this illustration. A man prepared, or let's just say what it says in the King James in this situation. It says, the master prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, all being the feast, he sent his servant. Everybody underline that if you have a pencil in your Bible, pay attention to that phrase. He sent his servant. Around to notify the guests, underline the guests, that it was time for them to arrive. God had an appointment. It was time 
for them to arrive. The master said, it's time for them to arrive. But they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it and asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, and for that reason, he couldn't come. The servant returned and reported to his master what they had said. His master was angry. And in the uh, Greek there, that phrase means he was angry. Yes, God does get angry. The master was angry and he told him to go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and to invite the beggars, crippled, lame and blind. But even then there was still room. Well, then said the master, go out into the country lanes. Now that's outside of the gate. I'm trying to illustrate to you the prophetic wisdom of God that somebody just says she's just there and she's hanging back in worship and everybody shared and she's like, do I go? Do I not go? Do I share? Do I not share? You need to share that because he suffered outside the gate. And the truth is we have to suffer outside of the gate for the cause of Christ. That's the revelation I believe God has for us is we have to go out and suffer the little babies to come unto us. You know, the only time that God said to to the disciples to suffer was suffer the little children to come unto me. Little children speaks of immature ones, babies, little ones. And there's a place in us where we have to realize we've come to a place in our maturity with God where God's going to continue to work in us. But he must work through us to bring in a harvest. The challenge is, is the church has had a mentality where we want an evangelist or a preacher to do what we've been called to do. And, and an evangelist and a preacher isn't called to go out in the high bays and byways. The servant is. The servant of God. And I'm going to ask everybody in the room, if you are a servant of God, raise your hand. Look at that. Do you know that? And what, let me ask you a question. What is probably the greatest of all, according to Jesus? The guests of all. The servant of all. It's the servant that God elevates. It is the one that will go to the low place and serve in the low place that God will do something incredible. Because you know what I found out is once you've learned to be a servant, you will never stop being a servant. Once you have learned to watch, I'll never forget years ago, I was doing a college group and I, I sat there and they had all this whole room. Uh, it was like a little mini move of God where it was just like, this room was just packed and people were just talking and conversing and reaching for God. It was our twenties group. And, and I said, Hey, you guys want to know how to be a leader in God's kingdom? And they're like, they kind of lean forward. Yeah. And I pulled out a plunger. And I said, this is where it starts. Some grimaced 
and some smiled and some laughed and it was a moment. The funniest part of all is at the end of that teaching, we said amen and we walked out of the 20s room down the hallway and as we were walking down the hallway, a little boy comes running out of the boy's bathroom and he says, oh, there's water everywhere. The toilet is clogged. Somebody's gotta unclog the toilet. And three young men looked at each other and said, challenge accepted. And those three young men went into the utility closet, went in there, got down on their knees, mopped up the whatever you want to call it, and then cleaned it all up and came back. And the funny thing about God is one of those young men would become the youth pastor for the church. The other one is now an elder in that church. And the other one is called with a wonderful evangelistic calling. And it all started because they were willing to start with service. By the way, many of those young people that day did not want to serve. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. They had a mentality of the guest, not the servant. They were the takers, not the givers. And there's a generation in the earth that is so taking and selfish. And you all know this. What is it like to be around somebody that is constantly taking and taking and taking and taking? They exhaust you. They wear you out. Because God said it is better to give than to receive. That doesn't mean there aren't times we need to receive, but we can't become professional receivers. For none of those I've invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I prepared for them. So he sends them out in the country lanes, out behind the hedges, and urges anyone, say anyone, Let me tell you why this is interesting for us charismatic folks. Because everything has to be a word of knowledge. Lord, who is it? Who is it, Lord? Show me who it is. And God says, it's anyone. We need to stop over-spiritualizing, winning people, and just say, God, anyone, anyone. God, I'm not going to be selective. You know, the church, we just watched 20 years of the church trying to win a bunch of rich people and be like the kingdom all about being the pretty church and the evangelized pretty church. And if God will just send me that, listen, not many wise, not many noble. I'd rather God send me a poor man that he can transform and be a blessing in the kingdom than send me somebody that's full of his own ego and think that he will in any way be a blessing to the kingdom of God. Because what he has to go through to get through the eye of the needle to become effective in the kingdom of God is very, very challenging. But I have watched over and over and over and over and over again as God has brought simple people and he simply gave them favor and he simply anointed them and he simply promoted them and he simply blessed them and he simply increased them. And and the whole time the church was being taken care of and blessed. My wife was a foster kid. Five years, first five years of her life, foster kid. I always tell people this. She's probably like, Cleve, can you just stop telling people? But I want to tell you why. My wife was a foster kid, but she's like Joseph. If she touches it, it's turning to gold. During COVID, my wife got promoted four times. 
She literally went from the beginning of COVID to wondering if she was even going to have a job or what things were going to be like to becoming the, uh, the, the director that was the direct assistant to the vice president, who now she is now the entire director over the part of the West Coast from the northern part of California all the way down. And I don't even understand it all anyway, but she's just been blessed and promoted and increased. And God has just done incredible things because God uses simple beginnings to do incredible things. Never forget the story of the rich young ruler. Hey man, I want Bill Gates to get saved too and give 10% of his offering. But let's be honest. That'd be a long drive. The deceitfulness of riches is fully entrenched in his life. Great crowds were following him. He turned around and addressed them as, fo- as following. Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me more than he does his own father, his own mother, his own wife, his own child, his own brothers, or his own sister. Yes, he must love himself even more than his own life. Otherwise, He cannot be my disciple. And no one can be my disciple who does not carry his own cross and follow me. What is God asking of me, you, us? What is he wanting to do through our life that is going to be so incredible. Let me tell you, I was praying for Christ the Rock and God told me their nursery is perfect. They have no problem when, with babies and it being soft and caring for them and being loved and being protected. You guys have that mastered. But what God showing, was showing me is that part of the thing you're going to be challenged with in the next season is when they start getting out of the nursery and into their terrible twos and threes, and you're gonna have to love them through it. And you guys are like, well, we're good at that. Don't assume you are until you're in the middle of it. And don't go, well, my pastor's good at it. That's not who I'm talking to today. I'm talking to each one of you. What are you, how are you gonna respond when they yell in your face because they're angry at their dad? How are you going to respond when they're rebellious and they're ornery? How are you going to respond when they, throw a, they spiritually throw themselves out on the floor and start kicking on the ground? Are you going to call the pastor? Hey, Pastor Jonathan. Hey, Pastor John. Hey, Pastor John. Oh, that's so interesting, isn't it? <laughs> you guys are surrounded by the beloved, aren't you? Anyways. <laughs> or are you going to say, I'm here. The toilet's clogged and it's overflowing. I'm going to deal with the toilet. And this is the thing, when you don't make the phone call and say, Pastor, the toilet's clogged, but you say, I'm going to fix the toilet, guess what happens? You learn to fix the toilet. You grow in God. You increase in God. You learn the, the strategies of the kingdom. You learn how to win people, disciple them, move them through, and grow them. You start to have fruit. You start to have crowns when you get to heaven that you can throw at the feet of God and say, God, that's my crown. Don't give your crown to your pastor. That's your crown. 
You say, but I don't have that kind of confidence. Then go get that kind of confidence. How do you get that kind of confidence? You try, you try, you try, you do, you learn, you try again, you get up, you try, and you keep doing it until you learn how to do it. I'll never forget John Eldridge said in one of his books that he went to the backyard and he was trying to fix his sprinkler. And while he was fixing, trying to fix the sprinkler, the sprinkler exploded in his face and he began to cuss out the sprinkler. And he walked in the house and his wife said, it's just a sprinkler. Why are you so upset at this sprinkler? He said, because he never taught me to do it. I so understand that comment. But then there's a moment where we say, he didn't teach me to do it, but you'll show me how. That's how you fix the leaks. Don't begin until you count the loss. Count the cost, sorry. And count the loss too, there's a lot of them. That'll make you pray. So I want to point out some things in the story. There's the guest. The guest is the taker. There's the servant. That's the one that does whatever the master says. So when he goes out and he invites the guests and they don't want to come, the, God speak, the master says to the servant, go out over there. So he goes out over there and he wins them. And so here's the thing. The church, when the church becomes full is when the church becomes fully burdened. So what, what, is, what fills the church is the full burden of the church. That means, and there's this necessity thing. I want to say this to you, like we talked about this before service a little bit. So, but there's this thing that's like, what about that person in your family that you know is in such dire need, they need you to reach out to them? And necessity moves you past your comfort zone. What about that person? Like we were having service last night, you know, having a church service. You know, we're having a church service. And this little girl in the middle of the church service, she's sitting there crying and she's in so much pain. And she's, I'm trying to preach a message and she's so rude that she's like interrupting me with her pain. You know, I'm trying to do a youth camp, man. You know, I mean, you know, first night, you know, excitement, pump them up. Second night, give them a substantive word. And third night, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows how this works. And God just says, and I stop right in the middle of the message. And I said, I cannot preach into you anymore until we pray for you. Because you are in so much pain. I can't look at it anymore. And I just stopped. And I got down in the middle of them. And the kids just circled around and we just turned into a giant huddle and started praying over this child and praying over her and believing God and birthing something in her and saying, come alive, come alive, come alive, baby. I could see the literal hell that this child was living in, trying to survive in the middle of it. And yet God was like, stay there with them. It was so good for the kids. It was so good for the preacher. I noticed something before COVID, not during COVID. I noticed something before COVID. Here's what I noticed. I noticed 
that a great indifference had come into the church. That there was a great indifference. People had become very indifferent. If you invited people to things, they were like, eh, okay, I'll come. Uh, maybe I will. Maybe I won't. Meh, service. Meh. You know, I got a, you know, I got a camping trip, you know, and eh. And then you, you would find that people, as, as it was happening, there was more and more and more of what I call in our culture the excuse culture. There was always an ox in the ditch. There was always a field to be bought. There was always some party to attend. You hear what I'm saying today? There was something had lost its value and its pertinence and its importance of the love feast. It was like Sunday optional. Community optional. Relationship optional. And that was all distraction and so God said, hey, guess what I'm going to allow? I'm going to starve you of relationship for a year. And you're going to be alone in your houses with your family. And you're going to find out whether your marriage, in your marriage, you really like each other or not. And some of you have been over here and over here in parallel lives. And you're going to get in your house and you're going to look at each other and you're going to say, I don't even know you anymore. And then you're going to be put at the crucible of saying, let's just end it, or you're going to say, God, restore it. And that's where you get put to the test of your covenant. See, I'm not going to whitewash this and make this all gracie and lacy and spacey. I'm going to tell you just how it is. You're going to either say, I made a covenant before God, and he can restore this thing. Or you say, you know what? What's in it for me? And here's the scary part about that. Some of us have generational stuff against our life. And the enemy is rubbing his hands together. And he is so excited right now. Because he's going, are they going to just fall back into the same family sin that I got their dad with? Can I just wipe them out now like I did the previous generation? Can I exacerbate the curse? So and now, all of a sudden, here you are, your thought at the beginning when you were with God was, I'm going to be in my children's lives, my wife's life. We're going to have such love in our marriage. We're going to have such intimacy with our children that we're going to be a strong family unit to now. You think that the value of yourself as a father is your ability to go to work and get a paycheck and pay for their things. That is nothing. Your ability to provide is a minute portion of who you are as a spouse. Your ability to be present and to love and to be in the marriage and to work through things and to say, babe, I've messed up, but here, let's get it right. Honey, I'm sorry. I've been difficult. Let's work it out. Let's go forward. And I want to say this to you. Marriages are under attack right now. And here's the challenge with the church. We are the best at pretending like it's not there. Right. Yep. We just don't look at the pink elephant. Right. So if you look, don't look at the pink elephant, expect pink papers. Oh. 
I'm saying this for a reason, y'all. You got to look at it. You got to say, God, this is serious. This is my boo. This is my ride or die. What's happening here, God? And you tighten up that thing, man. You tighten it up. Go away and spend a couple days together up at a lake. Get some roses and whatever you put on his music to just get back together. Figure it out. Look each other in the face and tell each other your stuff and ask each other to forgive one another and watch what God will do. He'll just restore things. But a woman will always know when a man's hustling them versus being truly honest to them. I'm saying this for a reason today, you guys. Some of us, we've learned to hustle. We've learned to hustle women. Babe, I'll never do that again. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. She's nothing to me. You're everything to me. And that is where you smell the back end of a cow. Sorry, country boy, farm boy. Every now and again, it slips out. Not the back end of the cow, just this. Okay, so anyway. Point being, sincerity and true repentance is different than hustle. She's looking and saying, really, do you mean it? Because is your, is your behavior going to change? Really, do you mean it? Because you're still absentee all the time and I don't know where you're at. And by the way, I've been following your phone wherever it goes. I'm challenging y'all today to be true to your marriage, to be true to one another, to be true to God, to be true and to be strongly committed. Amen? It's a little quiet, some a little bit. Just a little something, something, little something, something, something. And I don't think this is just because you're in deep thought. (laughs) I felt like I needed to share a few other things. So indifference. Indifference is like people have begun to lose the value. They begin to, this is what COVID did. Every one of us, even us, every one of us, us pastors, every one of us. I had to fight not to fall asleep during COVID. I'm being just transparent with you. COVID was rough. You know what it's like for a pastor when you're coming in and you've got a camera, and you're like, okay, let's open to the book of Matthew. And there's an echo in the room wherever you talk. And you're like, this is the most unnatural thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like, it felt so good to be here today and have all y'all worshiping God and getting at it. Man, just getting to it and saying, God. Mm. Yeah, boy. <laughs> All right. What we ha- Here's a couple of things we've got to be careful of. What does, they, did, what does the master tell the servants? Go out and get these people that nobody wants. Go out and get these people that live in the alleys, that live in the byways, that live out in the country, that live out in places you wouldn't expect. Go out and reach them until my house is full. And I literally had a picture of this whole room being full of tables and a feast going on and God just filling the house with people feasting together. I don't know why, just a picture I had. 
And I want to say this to you. People are craving having a voice and having relationship right now. So one of the things that we've been doing at our church, that this is what God put on our heart. God's going to speak to you guys however he speaks to you. It's not a format, not a form. But one of the things God spoke to us is he said, first Sunday, I want you to do a traditional service. Second Sunday, I want you to set up the whole room like a boxing ring. And I want you to just begin to open a topic. I want you to walk people through a book. This is what God really led me to do. So I've been walking people through a book called Emotionally Healthy Disciples. Why American Christians are only this deep. And I've been walking people through trying to take us from shallow to deep in our walk with God. Having a true emotionally healthy disciple of Christ. And so what we're doing is we're going through topics right now, walking people through. It's not psychology. It's not a giant counseling session. It's just a discourse. And here, I want to challenge that. Can I challenge it for you? What did the early church really look like? Was it butts in seat looking at me speaking? Or was there all kinds? Sometimes it was. Sometimes it was. And sometimes... It was people sitting in a room having a discourse with one another, having a discussion, sharing. And sometimes it was feasting together. The Bible talks about that, doesn't it? It was a lot of different things. And so what, I, what God's been challenging me with, it was scary. It was like, if I do this, people are going to stop tithing. People are going to leave. And we grew. Because it's what God spoke to us to do. Now, I want to say this to you. Somebody's going to hear about that happening for us, and they're going to try to copy it exactly the same way. And that's the sin of the American church so bad, is we just read a book, and this is what worked for them, so I'll do exactly the same thing that worked for me. There's something that works for you all that works for us all, and it's different, right? There's some people in the room right now going, you can't do that. I can just hear it. You can't do that. No, you can't do that. That's not bad. Don't do that. And well, we're doing it. <laughs> I had a couple of elders that said, you can't do that. And then the other elder, the older one said, you know what? If he's hearing from God, do you really want to disagree with him? And now everybody's on board. Everybody's excited. Same people that had a problem, though, aren't regular about attending. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) I'm being so mischievous today. Sorry. Forgive me. It's wonderful. Okay. Um, I'll share a story with you. So two things. Number one, I believe that sometimes God heals through corrective relationships. And what that means is you've had a relationship that wasn't good, and so God brings another relationship along, and that relationship he uses to heal the pain of the previous relationship. And so I'm going to tell on the elder pastor today. When I was a kid, my parents were in the Baptist church, and charismatic renewal happened, and I told Pastor John, it was like, I thought every Sunday it didn't rain and clouds didn't come in the sky. Because during that time, people were coming from all over. My mom and dad read that scripture and they got the vision to go to Goofy Ridge and to go to the places that where the throwaways lived 
and to bring them to the Baptist church. And at that time, the Baptist church was the nicest facility in town, the most well-funded. It was the place where the respectable people went to church. People were dressed to the nines. My dad's dad had been an elder in that church for 30 years. His mom had been a deaconess. She ended up being a deaconess for 54 years in that church. And I'm not referring to it as that church. It's just that church from when it was. Not like that, that church, you know. <laughs> but what happened was, is we began to bring them, and 10% of the city started attending our church. 10% of the city. And it was so packed that literally there were seats all the way to the back. The move of God was happening. At four years old, my mom brought me into a prayer meeting at the Baptist church. And you guys wouldn't understand this if you haven't been through something like this. But some of you have. And she was standing there. And all of a sudden, she looked down. And her four-year-old boy was getting baptized in the Holy Spirit right in the middle of a prayer meeting. And so I'm like, my wife and I are weirdos because we're like, we've, we've always kind of prayed in tongues. It's like, we've always been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I feel like it's part of, it is like, we're kind of a sign of wonder to people that don't believe in that because we're like, well, it's always been a part of our life. It just was supernatural. And, and I'll say this to you. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not that weird thing where people scream in your ear and say like this, la, 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 la. It's the real thing. When that happens, and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, God will do incredible things. I'll never forget Bobby Scalcioni living in my, in my room. He was living in, in the house with me, and I went away for the weekend. He was, had come out of the Grateful Dead. He was a shroomer. He was a tripper. He was a wild man. And he's living in his room, and he said, Cleve, I'm tired of sharing the room with Eric tonight. Can I sleep in your room while you're gone for the weekend? I said, sure. That night, he's laying in my bed, has a supernatural dream, and this wind, this fire, and this wind comes and starts to blow in the dream. And it's going like this, and it's blowing, and it's blowing like this, and it's blowing. And he wakes up in the middle of the dream, upside down on his head in the corner of my bedroom, praying in tongues. God's like, you think the Grateful Dead and getting high is good? Oh, baby, I got something better. We also had a joke in that time when all of us guys lived together. Eric Neitzel liked to put uh, the large can of corn right underneath of our mattresses. And we'd jump into bed and he'd hear us go, ooh. And then he'd stick his head in the door and he'd go, can of corn. <laughs> I had to make you laugh. So the last thing I want to share with you. Oh, one of the things I want to say is as people come like this, the church is a mother, right? The church is the picture of the church is the woman, the mother. But here's the challenge. And I feel like God's telling me to warn you about this. Do not become fearful that what people coming in have, your children and you can get. Do not become overprotective and try to protect what you've got because God doesn't want to protect what you got because he's got something better. But we have to be willing to say, God, I'm not going to play it safe. I'm going to go for it. Which, by the way, is what every person in this room that is a on-fire, loving God type of person really wants in the first place, is we want to push it and grow and go for it. Am I right? Yeah. 
Come on, we want to see God be God. I felt it in this room. I felt the push of God in this room during worship. And I'm like, I got the right crowd. So you know the story of the ten virgins. Many of you do. The Bible talks about ten virgins. And as they come, five of them, um, five of them don't have oil in their lamp. And they come and basically... They come, to the, they come to the ones that do have oil, and they say, give us oil, and they say, we can't. And they come to the master's house, and he says, I can't let you in. It's too late. He literally says, it's too late. And this is to the crowd that says, later. This is the crowd that says, I'll get that worked out in my marriage. I'll get that worked out in my character. I'll get that, but later, right now I'm doing this. Later, later, later. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think we're living in an hour where we should play around with later. I think we're living in an hour where we need to say now. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is where we got to deal with this. Now, some of you will scoff at that. You'll say, oh, whatever. That's your indifference. That's your indifference. That's the place in you that has become indifferent. So I want to ask you a question today. What are the three things that all ten virgins had in common? Number one, they all had lamps. Number two, they were all virgins. And number three, you're scratching your head. They were all asleep. They were all asleep. But the hour came for something else, and something in them came awake and had oil. And then they had light, and they could get where they were going to go, and God was going to take them somewhere wonderful. And I'm going to say this to you. I feel like I had to share that because it has been a battle to not fall asleep. How many of you during this last season became so tired, just so exhausted? Even the very virus, one of its number one aspects is fatigue. And you know what? The hardest thing is sometimes we want to be tough and say, oh, that'll fatigue them, but that didn't fatigue me. I'm going to tell you, it fatigued me. It made me tired. It made me weary. It literally made me want to quit on only on the days that ended with why. Some of you guys are like, what? Every day ends with Why? <laughs> It did. It made me just want to, I literally called, I literally called my bishop like three times during COVID and, and, and I, my wife doesn't know this or maybe she does. And I literally called them to say, can I quit? And by the time I got on the phone, I couldn't even say it because this was so hard. I was watching friends betray friends. I was watching lifelong friendships throw each other away by putting people in categories that they knew they weren't in, but just being pushed by society and by the spirit in the air to cause people to break friendships and relationships. I was watching people betray people, including I had people betray me that I couldn't believe were betraying me. And I mean betrayal. I watched friends steal from friends. I watched people literally become suicidal. I've done two child's, 
I've done two funerals for children that committed suicide in the last year. Those are two more than I ever want to do in the rest of my life. And we're a tiny little church. My son was waking up in the middle of the night and running to a friend's house because she was going to kill herself that night because she couldn't handle the isolation her parents were putting her through anymore. I watched children literally coming to my house comatose. Like, you know when their face, when you've seen somebody have a nervous breakdown and their face just looks like washed out? And some of us in this room, we literally had experiences like that. Some of us woke up and said, God, I don't, I don't feel well. I don't feel like myself. This is terrible. And if you're a prophetic person, it makes you absolutely insane because you walk in a room if you're empathetic and compassionate and prophetic and you feel everything that everybody else is going through and it makes you want to scream. It really taught me not to be a fixer. It really did. This last year taught me you cannot fix people cleave. And I was such a compassionate fixer, you have no idea. I thought it was awesome that I was this compassionate pastor that would just sit with people and rub their back and let them talk. And then God told me, stop doing it. Not like that. Don't do it so much. Put them in the hands of the Holy Ghost. Get them to somebody that's an expert. Now, you're not an expert on everything. Get them to somebody that's been through what they've been through and have that person talk to them because they'll be able to help them more than you can, Cleve. Hand them off to somebody. And when they feel rejected, hand them to somebody that has a rejection issue, had a rejection issue and got healed of it. Just don't let people kill you, son. So stay awake. Verse 13, the last part of the story of the virgins. Stay awake and be prepared for you do not know the date or the moment of my return. We are on an hour right now where God wants his house full. And guess who it's going to take Every one of us. It's going to have to be the body being the body being the body. Can you stand? I have found that when I grow the most is when I confront the selfishness in me. When I confront the thing in me that is being selfish. The thing in me that's like needy and saying, God, I give you that and I'm going to let you meet my need. But there are people that need what I have too. I'm not going to be just a guest that takes. I'm going to be a servant that gives. And Father, right now, I just pray, Holy Spirit, there's something that only you can do in this room right now. There's something only you can do. God, I've shared your word, but now, Holy Spirit, only you can touch the hearts of men and women. Only you can do now what has to happen. Only you can speak to our hearts. And God, turn us and draw us and transform us.
You know, if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart right now, I want every pastor ready to pray over people right now. Every elder ready to pray over people right now. But if you're here and you're saying, God, I'm answering this altar call. Now, I'm assuming if you don't run to the altar, that means that you're saying no to being a servant. (laughs) That's what I'm assuming. Because God wants us to say, God, here am I, send me. God, here am I, I'll be a servant in the midst of it all. And what I wanna do is I want every pastor, every elder to go pray over every person and consecrate them for the work of the Lord and the service of the Lord afresh and say, I am consecrating you and I am setting you apart to the service of the Lord. I'm setting you apart with your anointing. I'm releasing the gifting in you. I'm releasing the anointing in you. I'm calling it forth. Be released, be released, be released, okay? So God, right now, if you say, God, I will be a servant for you in this hour, I want you to step out of your seat and come down to this altar and say, God, here am I. Here am I, God. Here am I, God. Here am I, God.